0: This episode of Wealth Management Today is brought to you by Ezra Group Consulting. Broker-dealers are under tremendous pressure to retain and attract new advisors, and their technology ecosystem is a key part. Ezra Group Consulting is your go-to source for building the next generation of advisor and client experiences that will supercharge your firm's growth, increase user satisfaction, and reduce operating costs. If you're a broker-dealer and you want to leapfrog your competition, contact Ezra Group today for a free one-hour consultation and 10% off your first strategic planning project. Go to ezragroup.co, that's E-Z-R-A-G-R-O-U-P.co for more information. Welcome to this episode of the Winners of Wealth Tech series on the Wealth Management Today podcast. My name is Craig Eskowitz and I'm your host today. I'm a strategy and technology consultant and I work only in wealth management and I'm doing this podcast to help bring information to the industry and share some of the trends and ideas and cool stuff that I'm finding out there in my travels. So this Winners of Wealth Tech series brings interviews with people I'm excited about, people I think have brought a lot to the industry. And today's interview is with someone I really like, David Lyon, the founder and CEO of fintech firm Orange. I've written a lot about Orange on my blog. Uh, You can check that out at wmtoday.com. And David, uh, again, is the founder of Orange. They have an RIA tech platform, end-to-end platform for advisors, which I like very much. But before he founded Orange, he was actually an RIA himself for 10 years, grew his firm to over 300 million in AUM, and wasn't happy with technology out in the market. So built his own, eventually sold that firm and started Orange, I think in 2014. But even more interesting than that, David's got a fascinating background. I'm going to tease you a little bit here before the interview, Don't want to spoil it. But he worked for the Chicago Bulls organization uh, during one of their championship runs. He worked for Live Nation, doing live concerts. Interesting, fascinating stuff. Very different than your normal career path in wealth management. So I thought he'd be a great uh, person to interview for the winners of WealthTech. Know you're gonna like it. I really enjoyed this interview. And so let's get started. Welcome everyone to the Winners of Wealth Tech series for our Wealth Management Day blog, and I'm your host Craig Eskowitz, and I'm very happy to have as a winner of Wealth Tech David Lyon, the CEO and co-founder of fintech firm Orange. Welcome, David.
1: Oh, thanks, Craig. Thanks for having me.
0: So glad to have you here. Uh, I know we've we've spoken a lot in the past, and I'm I'm glad you had the time to make for this interview and to be on the Winners of Wealth Tech. We really appreciate it. We've got so much to discuss besides all my list of questions and your career and where you've gone and how you got to where you are today. I really wanted to jump back in time and go all the way back to your first job and I and ran right out of college. And how does a, 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 you know, you were a double major at, at Ohio Wesleyan University in economics and journalism. So why did you pick those and how did you move from that into your first job?
1: You know, economics was was really something I, I grew up with. You know, my my father was a large cap value manager, so I I kind of grew up within the industry. You know, every every Sunday we would have uh, Doctor Lyons Learning Academy, and we literally would would read the Wall Street Journal uh, front to back, and started to get into stocks probably when I was about eleven so kind of grew grew in you know grew up or, or around the industry within the industry you know certainly my my father being a big influence there
0: that's great did he have a phd
1: no he he had an mba oh he just you called know, himself he,
0: dr Lyon?
1: yeah no he wasn't an actual doctor it was more of a play on his sense of humor <laughs> i think than anything else but every sunday we would do that and you know that was a kind of a big part of 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 growing up in our house you know that was, uh, I think, just kind of my natural passion. You know, going into college, and by uh, about my my junior year, I was pretty pretty well on track to to you know take all the required courses for for my major in economics, and I kind of picked up journalism as a second major. You know, just because I'm I'm really passionate about writing, and something I wouldn't tell the folks at Ohio Wesleyan, but it was kind of an easy major to tack on (laughs) to, to my education. So that's pretty much how I, how I kind of got
0: to there. I I love that your dad did that. I mean, how did you uh, approach that? And how, as a kid, I I know most kids don't really enjoy reading the wall street journal. I mean, how did he get you to do that? How how did he make it interesting for you?
1: You know, he always uh, I'm, I'm the oldest of five kids and he would use us as part of his research to find out, what we were interested in, so I think he always did a really good job of turning investing and learning about companies and, and translating that into things that we were interested in. So, you know, we weren't diving, you know, real deep into financials. I think the first stock that I bought was Chuck E. Cheese. Uh, if you can remember, That's you know, incredible. those those franchises that kind of got started in in the mid '80s. And, you know, I wanted to know more about Chuck E. Cheese outside of, you know, the, the robotic bears and, you know, skee-ball and, and things of that nature. And, uh, you know, he, he did a really good job of kind of connecting the dots between stuff that we were interested in and, and I think skills that he felt like were important for us to have as, as we were growing up.
0: That's great. It's great to have your father that involved with what's going on with you. Some, you know, some parents are too busy working to, to deal with their kids.
1: Yeah, he taught me a lot about that about how to, dip, you know, kind of split between, you know, being a father and a role model and going to work every day and working real hard and, and how to balance those and I I try to emulate that every day. I have, you know, two young daughters that are 9 and 11 and and so a lot of the things that that he he taught me, I'm, you know, I'm I'm trying my best to to pass on to them as well.
0: That's all we can do is try our best. So you have a very interesting first job. I mean, I think a lot of kids out of college would relish uh, the chance to, to for this. At least a lot of a lot of uh, guys I know would. Your first job was at the Chicago Bulls. How did you get that job?
1: I got that job purely out of luck. You know, I was a, a senior, and I really felt like my path was going towards. Being like a junior analyst at you know a, a large investment firm, and so you know those were kind of largely the the jobs that I was applying for, and I got a job offer actually from Goldman Sachs to to be a junior analyst and an analyst in training. I also basically took the alumni book from Ohio Wesleyan, and Ohio Wesleyan is a, a small liberal arts school uh, in central Ohio, just north of Columbus. You know, I, I grew up in Chicago, and I knew, you know, no matter what, I wanted to to be back in Chicago and, you know, live in the big city and experience that as 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 a young uh, professional. And so I went through and I highlighted every alumni member from Ohio Wesleyan that was listed in our alumni directory, and I sent them my resume with a cover letter. But in particular, I noticed that there was one alumni member from our school that was working for the Chicago bulls and growing up in Chicago and, you know, being a, a massive Michael Jordan fan, you know, I'm like, this would be the dream job, right. Being able to, you know, go to work at the house that Michael built every single day. And I don't care what I do, but that would just be a a, a dream. Of mine, my my basketball skills weren't good enough,
0: oh, yeah. not so not I, fig- and, and, I
1: figured maybe maybe my education might serve me in some way that I could help the Bulls. And that was and, before
0: I mean, that's in nineteen ninety eight, so the, the beginnings of the internet. No LinkedIn, you actually had to go to the paper alumni journal to pull people's names out and then type them real letters, right?
1: Oh yeah, you know, in college, I, I mean, I didn't even have a computer. My senior year, you know, you go to the computer lab to type up papers. And I had an email address, but I don't think I really use it all that much. But yeah, it was snail mail, you know, print out the resume, send it to them, uh, go in there for an interview. And basically the program was you come in, you start, you know, in June, you know, the season's over bulls just won their fifth championship and it was like a casting call. Right. I mean, it, it, you were in a lobby with hundreds of applicants and they were all trying to get an unpaid internship for the summer. You know, they just worked their way through four years of college and they were all willing to come and work for the bulls for free for four months. I'm sure for the shot. Yeah. For, for the shot at getting a full-time job. And so that's what I did. I'll, I'll never forget my first day. They hired 15 summer interns and our sole job was to renew season ticket holders, which wasn't really that difficult of a task. It was more administrative than anything at that point. Cause the bulls were the hottest ticket in, in, in the world at that time. Oh, exactly. Yeah. You know, back to your earlier point about email and computers and internet. And I mean, we were given a pad of paper, uh, a list of the clients uh, of the white pages and a phone and told to go and sell and, um, a good old, you know, that, like a
0: boiler room, like a boiler room brokerage. It,
1: it was, it was similar to that. I think we had, you know, maybe slightly higher ethics than, <laughs> than, <laughs> of than some of the boiler rooms in the eighties and nineties, but, Helps um, you know, it was, it was, it was a similar culture of, you know, go out there and just get it done. You know, there was no high tech approach to it. There was no marketing automation. It was, Reach out uh, to people, have conversations, develop relationships, and and get it done.
0: That's awesome. So, that's, did you did you do you have any great stories from your time there?
1: So many great stories. I'll, I'll tell you two quick ones. When the Bulls were on their sixth championship run, pretty much everyone knew that this was Michael Jordan's you know last hurrah with the Bulls, and the owner of the Bulls actually flew down the entire front office. Uh, to Utah for, for game six of the NBA finals. And wow, that's a lot you know, of m- yeah, yeah. it was, it was, uh, the, you know, they chartered a, a United airlines plane flew us all down there and put us up. And we got to see Michael Jordan hit the the game winning shot to, to beat the, the Utah jazz in, in game six of the finals, which, you know, he still went on to play uh, another, another year with another team, but that was an amazing experience
0: that doesn't happen uh, very often that's that's like a once in a generation event
1: yeah it was it was it was a great experience and you know and i think just the camaraderie that everyone had in the front office and you know made lifelong friends and that that was that was tremendous and you know i think that the the second pretty cool thing that i got to do was was actually go to you know michael jordan's retirement announcement the press conference and that's cool and, and things of that nature. So you know being a lifelong uh, fanatical bulls fan and an even bigger Michael Jordan fan that was a, that was, that was a, a pretty amazing experience as well.
0: indeed, but even being a lifelong bulls fan and a Michael Jordan fan, you still felt your time at the Bulls was up by 2000 and you you moved on. So why that direction to, uh, to clear channel entertainment?
1: Yeah, the, it, it it was it was really you know looking around and my boss uh, at the time you know I knew that I wasn't really going to be able to to get his job anytime soon. I wasn't really looking either. But uh, a young company by the name of uh, SFX Entertainment was coming to Chicago, and SFX Entertainment was uh, a company that uh, was led by. Uh, a radio tycoon out of Texas by the name of Robert Sillerman. And he went around and bought up all these radio stations, all these entertainment properties, concert promoters, sports agencies, you name it, and pretty much overnight formed the largest live entertainment company in the world that was putting on more events than Disney was they they were just recruiting people who were working for local, you know, entertainment companies in in Chicago and you know that was where i think i first got the entrepreneurial bug and i'm like this sounds pretty amazing and and the job that they want to give me i'm um, i'm definitely not qualified for um but but they're yeah i mean <laughs> I maybe I felt, I felt like I was qualified for it at the time, <laughs> but uh, you know, in hindsight, you know, I, I, I definitely was not. And I felt like it was a, a good career move. They were going to give me a, a ton of more responsibility and um, I would be able to, to, to do things professionally that I wasn't going to be able to do uh, with the bulls. And, you know, I, I took that job and about 10 months later, SFX entertainment got sold to Clear Channel Communications which was the the big radio conglomerate outdoor advertising right and we became the entertainment division of Clear Channel and that's kind of what what brought me you know into that world kind of continuing within the same industry but you know I think expanding the skill set and you know I was able to I think tap more into my economics background where really a clear channel, I was helping different business units monetize uh, each other's assets. So, you know, they had outdoor advertising, radio, motor sports, mm-hmm. athlete representation, you know, concert promotion and live music and
0: everything there was there back was- then, all in one place. Yeah. So pretty yeah. no streaming video, no streaming media, no None of that. It's all actual physical entertainment.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, and, and, and at that time, part of what I was doing was a concert would get booked. They would promote it. And three months later, you would find out how much money you made. Um, and and part of the problem that we were trying to solve and I was uh, a part of was now that clear clear channel at the time and, and still is, is a publicly traded company. And you know, how, how do they project revenue out uh, for this this company that they just bought? They bought SFX Entertainment for four billion dollars. How does that not become a hindrance on their stock price when they can't project revenue out more than three months, right? For something they spent four billion dollars
0: for? Yeah, you would think you think they'd have that under control.
1: Yeah, yeah, and they right. didn't really they didn't really have that figured out. Uh, you know, I wasn't the sole point person to help them figure it out, but I was part of a team that tried to help them figure it out. And, you know, really after, you know, six, seven years of, of Clear Channel trying to make that marriage work between really their radio division and the live entertainment division, they really, they decided that uh, the entertainment division would be better off as their own company. So they spun off our, our division, uh, which became known as, as Live Nation
0: well I, I forgot how that worked right so they spun it off so then and then you became live nation which is again this huge conglomerate of of concert promotion
1: they're they're really uh, a multimedia multi content medium company today um, you know they're 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 probably generating like 50% of their revenue off of you know streaming content um, you'll see content that they have on netflix today you know, I, I was there really at the infancy, the beginning innings of, of, of that movement, but, uh, it was a tremendous experience and, you know, I think really taught me how to build a business, you know, and everything from, you know, marketing to sales to operations and, and how all of those pieces fit together, um, you know, was, uh, was, was a tremendous experience for me. Um, I, I got to you know, be a fly on the wall during the spinoff and in the ultimate the the IPO of Live Nation as a publicly traded company, and watched how they reinvented their business model to be a more viable publicly traded company.
0: Do you have any any cool stories from that? I mean, are you are you meeting any any uh, entertainers, hobnobbing with uh, rock stars, or are you just stuck in an office on the phone all day?
1: <laughs> I, I I have a lot of stories. I'm trying. I'm searching for which one would be most appropriate and politically correct to,
0: to, to share with of, you. It's very different <laughs> in the wealth management technology industry. The people you run into versus when you're promoting concerts.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I'd, I'd say maybe one of the 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 stories that I could share with you. Uh, you know, I, I got to meet you know, I think plenty of entertainers and and musicians and bands, you know, I I got to meet Mary J. Blige and Sheryl Crow, you know, you, you know, there's at least a dozen, but, uh, you know, I, I wasn't on the front lines with the talent uh, in, in particular, but, you know, I think a valuable Lesson and experience that I had was uh, Guns N' Roses. Um, I forget what year this was. It might have been 2005, 2006. And Guns N' Roses was coming back on kind of their big comeback tour, their grand finale tour. We had done a deal with Accenture to be the title sponsor uh, of Guns N' Roses' tour. Um, kind of an interesting brand fit, but um, nonetheless, you know, we went out for the opening night of Guns N' Roses tour, Madison Square Garden, right? All the celebrities were out there, big ticket item uh, in New York City. And we're sitting in a skybox waiting for Guns N' Roses to take the stage, and an hour goes by, two hours, three hours. Then the manager comes on the stage and says the, can- the concert has been canceled. We're, cool. we're in the box. Yeah, <laughs> after three hours, and having a breakdown, he had a breakdown. He wouldn't come out of his hotel room, and we're sitting there in a in a box with corporate executives from Accenture who wrote a, a you know seven figure check to sponsor this tour. That that was a, a, a real lesson uh, from a business standpoint, and in, in, you know and in, in how to manage uh, clients when when you're not able to deliver.
0: To, to, seriously, that's that's about as big a, a, a failure to deliver as you can get.
1: You know, I think more than that, the the lesson is is that there are things that you can control in business, and there are things that you can't control in business. And you know, it, it's it's about you know how you how you pick up the pieces and you move on, and you you know still find a way to deliver value uh, you know, to, to clients. And it ended up working out really, really well. You know, we were, uh, we were able to deliver, you know, a tour sponsorship to them with Billy Joel and Elton John, which I think if, if you look back on it, it was probably a better brand fit for Accenture than, than Guns N' Roses comeback tour was, but it worked out. It was a very difficult situation, learned a lot from it. Wasn't, wasn't the exciting artist story that I think you were looking for. No, um, I was but...
0: expecting like, I went to the hotel room, they, they trashed it. They knocked the walls down. We were partying from you know, three o'clock in the morning. None of that though, right?
1: No, I was never, I was, I was, I was never uh, cool enough to, to, <laughs> to be invited to those types of soirees, but yeah, no um way. You know, it, uh, I, I certainly got to meet a lot of, a lot of really, uh, right. you know, interesting, famous people, but it was, it was a great experience.
0: You mentioned something, sorry to interrupt the, um, how you learn on about how to deal with clients when you can't deliver. So how has that experience changed the way you manage, uh, at Orange?
1: You know, I I mean, I I think every entrepreneur is going to say, you know, under promise and and, and over deliver. Um, But I think, you know, largely what that means at the root level is to really think about, you know, what you're taking on um, and, and to be emphatic about planning. I don't know if that approach would have Put us in a better position with with Axl Rose and, and Guns N' Roses, but right probably not. But you know, I mean, I think going back, like we could have, we could have done a better job of trying to, you know, position them into a different tour, and you know, and I think I take that, you know, back to to what we're doing today and looking at, you know, realistically, you know, how can we deliver on New features that advisors are requesting, um, or new business initiatives um, that we have, uh, as as we you know want to grow and and continue to grow our business. You know, it's it's really about right sizing those opportunities, and you know putting a plan together that that everybody is invested in, you know to to be able to deliver that. But certainly, don't promise people. Uh, things before you know you can deliver on them.
0: That's very well thought out advice that any any firm could use, in my opinion. So, how did you make the decision after eight years at Live Nation to start Main Street Financial?
1: You know that that was a big leap for me, going from really the the live entertainment business to starting an RIA was a, or a huge leap, um, but you know, once, once, you know, I was, you know, basically, you know, at Live Nation, you know, I, in like 2005, you know, my father got diagnosed with, with leukemia and it really upended our family. You know, I became, uh, you know, more involved in really, you know, just being there for, for, for my mother. Um, but, but also, you know, helping, you know, them with, you know, their finances. Um, you know, I I, I knew I think pretty much what I needed to know, know from a investment perspective, but there was so much more than that. You know, we were we were dealing with, you know, life insurance and we were dealing with like the monthly uh, you know, expenses and and things of that nature. And and my mother was really not equipped and and educated to to deal with that that stuff, you know, as my, as my father was going through, uh, treatment and, um, you know, really, really during those, that, that, that time, I, I really discovered a passion for, for helping people, uh, with, with their finances and was able to educate myself in areas that, uh, I wasn't educated in things around, you know, life insurance and, you know, medical expenses and 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 all of that. And you know, and my my father lost his battle with leukemia uh in two thousand seven and sorry
0: to hear
1: that. Thank you. Thank you. It was it was it was tough and, and you know we're we're very, very involved, uh my myself and and, in Orange as a company we 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 give back to the Leukemia Lymphoma Society and we're involved with a couple other charities as well. That was really an inflection point for me where, you know, I was about to become a father myself. My my wife was, you know, newly pregnant, you know, when when my, my father passed away. And, you know, I did a lot of reflecting and and at the same time my mother really needed a lot of help, you know? And, and I said, well, if I don't do this now, if I don't go off and, and try to start my own business, when, when am I going to ever? And it wasn't the most ideal time.
0: It is never a good time for that.
1: Yeah. And just, you know, going off and starting your own business and becoming a, a, a father at the same time is, is, is pretty, is pretty challenging, but it's scary. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it is, it is very scary. And but I knew that you know the the passion that I had for for this um, and being able to afford my family, you know, primarily my mother, you know, the ability for for me to help her and then grow a business at the same time um, was uh, was something that I knew that I just had to do. It, it was. Uh, this sounds a little cliched, but it was a calling for me. You know, I, I started my RIA uh, in 2008, which was also an interesting time to, to go off and and start an RIA. So that, that's, that's pretty much how I, how I made the leap there and and what drove that.
0: You didn't pick that time. It just happened to you.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It was, you know, I mean, you, you think about things like people always say things happen in threes, you know, between the, the, the recession, the great recession, you know, my father passing away and me becoming a father, it was uh it was kind of that that factor of 3 i was i was i was fortunate i was fortunate to be able to you know to to build a business in something that i was really passionate about doing
0: hmm. do you think the recession helped you start your business considering what business it was and that a lot of people were afraid to invest on their own after that
1: i do i think that you know there there were there were two things you know as i look back on you know, I think what what helped me grow that business, one was just hard work. But, you know, the the, the second was, was that like, yeah, I mean, I think that there was a feeling from, you know, do-it-yourself investors that really weren't prepared for this. And I think there was a growing demand, you know, for, for someone to have a, a personal trainer in their life. But I also think, secondly, because I, I did choose the route to to, to independence, right? And I, I kind of, ch- I chose that RIA route. I think a lot of, a, a lot of investors were really disenfranchised with the, the larger wirehouses, right? That were showing up, they were testifying in front of Congress every month, you know, and in, in really questioning, I think, the uh, intention and ethics uh, of a lar- lot of the larger institutions.
0: Yeah. So it was a, in, on the one hand, a terrible time to be in the market, but could be a good hand a good time to hang out your own shingle as an advisor. Absolutely. So that was successful I, I imagine and then I now I know I interviewed you before it's been you know it's been 5 years it's almost it's 4 years since uh, since I interviewed you for my blog and I know you told me the story but t- tell me the story again if you could about how you came around to the idea for Orange
1: yeah, I you know I think the story was that I mean I think it, where it really originated was, you know, what was my core value proposition going to be uh, as an advisor? How was I going to hold myself out to clients, prospective clients, and you know what did my service model look like? And largely, my story was that uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna do things for my clients that they just don't have the time to do themselves, And that story really resonated with a lot of the clients that I brought on early on, didn't have any book of business. And, you know, I was fortunate I had a pretty large natural network, you know, and there wasn't anything magical that I did outside of a really high level of activity to build that, to build that book of business. And was fortunate to grow my, my AUM, my, my assets under management, pretty quickly within a two-year period. But going through that type of growth, I was really able to see like where the holes were uh, you know, in, my, in my business. And it, and it wasn't so much back-office facing as it was front-office facing. And I, I was really good at getting referrals, and I was tracking that and looking at the fact that i was only meeting with a small percentage of the referrals that i was getting in order for me to continue to grow the business right i had to get better at having a lot of those first meetings if i was able to get those first meetings right my my ability to bring on new clients and and acquire new clients was was really good so it was about really being able to demonstrate You know, to prospective clients, the value that I can provide, but more importantly, what it was like to work with me. And, you know, at this time, robo advisors were starting to pop up Uber, Amazon, Netflix. There was so much convenience being created through technology. And I was looking at what I was doing, how I was connecting with prospective clients and how I was serving existing clients and I'm and, and I'm looking at my business model and my workflows and processes and saying I'm, I'm 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 in the stone ages right I'm asking clients every quarter to meet with me for 90 minutes then we do the big bang annual review and people just weren't living their life like that anymore and I really felt like I needed to have, uh, technology, um, as part of the service and value that I provided, that helped people's lives be easier, not more difficult, and that—that that was, I think, what what really paved the way for me to to kind of conceptualize Orange. That's pretty much how the how the idea and the concept kind of came came to to fruition.
0: Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. I, I love, love to hear how those type of ideas percolate and how they, they, they come out and then how they actually take shape and, and get executed. Because that's, that's also a, a pretty big change for you from a financial advisor into running a technology company, in effect. So you've you really changed the, the way you, what, what your business is. You're still helping people, but it's, it's a very yeah. different service model providing software versus providing financial advice.
1: Absolutely. I mean, and, and, you know, I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned that because that is exactly how we feel here at Orange, which is we view that we're, we're helping people through experts, you know, through professionals that, you know, care about their clients um, and are there to serve their clients and help their clients achieve their their goals and, and help them make smarter financial decisions. And, you know, anything that we can do, any software that we can build to help facilitate that relationship is really, you know, core to our mission.
0: Indeed. And, and uh, I'm sure your clients appreciate that. So moving from the your, your history and, and how you got to where you are to more of, this is where I start asking questions more about you and, and, and how you see the world and how you see business beyond what we just spoke about in, in your career. But uh, at this point in your life, what's become more important to you in your personal life over the past few years?
1: It, it's definitely the time that I have with my family. When I first started Orange, there was about a two-year overlap where I was running an RIA and also building a technology company at the same time. And I missed out on a lot. Uh, I missed out on a a lot of events and special moments with my kids. And I had a real challenge and difficulty in, in trying to balance that and knowing when to, you know, hit the pause button on my business to make time for my family over the last few years, I've, I've gotten much better at that. Part of that's been as the company's grown, there's other people that do many of the things that I was doing and many of the hats that I was wearing. But it's definitely you know, making sure that I, I hit the pause button. Every night, I'm home for dinner with my family, and unless I'm traveling on the road, uh, which, which I do manage much better today than I did a couple of years ago um you know i i i need to be at home uh for dinner with my family you know it 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 really helps me you know to stay centered you know to to understand what's what's the most important thing that we're doing here i think that's probably the most important thing that that uh i've i've been able to change in in over the last i'd say a few years
0: i'm glad you did that i mean i i i feel the same way i i i did that myself I've got three daughters, so I, I know uh, what position you're in. And it's you, you see a change in how you approach things and how you feel and how you deal with stress when you've got that family time. You don't realize how important it is when you're just grinding it out of the office 20 hours a week, uh, 20 hours a day. Yeah, 100%. I want to take a little break from this episode to talk to you about one of my favorite sponsors, the Invest in Others Foundation. Invest in Others is a nonprofit. You can find them at investinothers.org, and they look to raise money and give out awards to charities that are sponsored by financial advisors. So it's financial advisors' uh, favorite charities, charities that they spend a lot of time supporting. So Invest in Others looks to get sponsorships from the industry and funnel that money to advisors' favorite charities. I really like this this charity uh, and this nonprofit. I think you should take a look at it. Again, investinothers.org. They've got a couple other programs. One is a Grants for Good program. Uh, Again, delivering money to different needy organizations and needy groups. They're also starting a corporate awards program, which is going to be a little bit different, but still within the industry. Uh, Another way for financial services, uh, wealth management, corporations to help uh, donate money to people in need. So I really like invest in others. I think you should take a look at it. Invest in others. Let me spell this for you: i n v e s t i n o t h e r s dot o r g. With your success and and how well things have gone, and uh, you know you've you've been running Orange for five years now. How do you stay motivated and keep that entrepreneurial spirit going? That's
1: a that's a great question you know, I'd answer that in, I think, two different ways. One is, is I think the people that work at Orange, the opportunities that we've been able to create for everybody uh, that works at Orange keeps me motivated. You know, I've, I've always felt that, you know, in, in, in starting a business that what was core to my mission was, you know, building a company with really great people who are passionate about what we're doing and that, you know, whatever business that I created, that we're able to help people grow personally, professionally, and financially. That, I think, in a nutshell, uh, is, is really what keeps me motivated um, and, and kind of keeps my entrepreneurial spirit going. And, you know, once you once you start to build the beginnings of that, you're able to start to see everybody else take on that entrepreneurial spirit and them start to actually come up with the ideas and the direction of where they want to take things, whether that's a feature, or whether that's a way that we want to service advisors better than you know others out there in the space, that is definitely, I think, what what keeps me going.
0: So you've made your entrepreneurial spirit—you made it contagious, so everyone in the company catches it.
1: Yeah, we 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 try really hard to do that. We've created a, I think, a, a pretty good culture. We never really sit back on our laurels. We're always trying to find, you know, new new ways to make our culture better. I, you know, I don't think that you're ever uh, done with that. Everybody here, you know, has a sense of ownership of 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 what they're doing and what we're building. And we release software every week. And we have uh, kind of a company wide meeting where, you know, our product team displays. To everybody, you know what we're releasing that week, and everyone in our company goes to that. Our accounting manager, you know, our operations director, marketing, sales, development. I mean, everyone stops what they're doing, and everyone has, you know, insight and feedback for for what we're doing. So that's pretty special, something that we're really proud
0: of. In your the way you approach business and, and the way you the way you manage and and your strategy is there something that you believe that you think other people in the industry might disagree with, or even think is crazy?
1: I don't, I don't think that there's anything that we do that people think uh, is, is, is crazy. That might be, you know, slightly a a strong term, but, you know, we, you know, our business is going against the grain, um, you know, in, in terms of, you know, our business model where, you know, we're, we're providing free software to advisors and we're, we're trying to adopt uh, a business model that others within our industry haven't adopted. And we, 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 we get that feedback a lot. I mean, you know, our goal is to build the highest quality world-class software uh, and provide the best service that we can. And we want to be the leaders in that in the industry, and it's it's what we aspire to every day. I think in order to do that, you got to look at who the best is, and we want to build a company, uh, and we're working towards building a company that is is really modeled after I think some of the leaders in the technology industry, not just within financial services. You know, companies mm-hmm. like Adobe and Dropbox and Evernote you know, just, just to name a few. And part of our philosophy around that is is that, you know, critical mass is key to building good software. And that's why, you know, companies like, you know, Adobe and Evernote and, and Dropbox, you know, have been able to build such great software platforms in such a short amount of time.
0: Is there something specific about those companies software that you're trying to emulate or, or, or the way they're, they're directing their strategy.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think each one has its own kind of unique focus, I think around that, you know, I think what Adobe does really, really well is they give people what they want and what they need and they allow people to grow, you know, as their needs change. You know, I think something that, that we've seen is, is that, You know, advisors uh, in our industry will license technology, but they'll only use, you know, a small percentage, you know, of of the features in that technology. And that's not a great feeling uh, as a consumer, you know, no matter what kind of dollar value you're paying for the software or any type of product or service for that matter. And you're like, I'm only using these four features, but it's got 25 features, I'm kind of paying for a bunch of things that I I really don't use or need. Um, So, you know, from, from that aspect, you know, I think we really look to Adobe, you know, from, from that perspective, you know, Dropbox, they're, they're continuing to grow their features and evolving into, to, to other avenues and, and kind of feature sets. But uh, at the heart of what Dropbox does really well is it just works. And it just works really, really well, you know, and, and I think our kind of thesis on that is, is that they just, they went to market, they let, you know, millions and millions of, of users go and use their software. And that's how they, you know, got to where they are, you know, and they, they weren't really looking at, at, at each user and saying, how do we monetize each user? They were looking at, you know, how do we grow, and build a really good software platform that a lot of people see a lot of value in and you know and we'll figure out you know how to you know how, how to really monetize and, and grow this you know after we have that critical mass you know and and we we're, we're largely taking the same approach
0: with that approach and with your company growing adding more clients uh, and, and becoming more successful how do you identify people that will be a good fit at Orange?
1: People who who want to join our team? Correct. Yeah I think it's it's uh, you know finding the right fit for employees and, and people that want to join our team is really hard. There's countless books about it and you know I think that the more complex, uh that you make your hiring process and your evaluation of talent it 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 lends itself more to the analogy of kind of uh paralysis by analysis you know and and we try to we try to boil it down to something that's that's i think really pretty simple um which is we want to hire people who are smart and gets things done and you know I, i think you find a good group of people, you know, who are, who are passionate uh, about their careers and who are smart and gets things done, you'll, 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 you'll find the right people. You know, there's, there's, there's plenty of of people out there who have really great resumes, 10 years of experience. um, But, you know, their heart's not just in it. They, they just don't, want to move at the pace that, that we want to move at, you know, they're, they're, they're probably not a fit, but people who are smart, people who can problem solve and connect the dots and just work really hard to get things done. um, You'll, you'll end up with a really good
0: team. Yes, you should. In your, in your travels and in your meeting with people and in hearing what's going on, do you hear any advice, uh, any bad advice, that's being given out a lot, and what would that be?
1: Some of the things that that I hear generally that I think is is bad advice, largely I think relating back to an old way of doing business. You know, where a lot of business owners are looking at each relationship as like their own separate P and L, and how do you monetize? Uh, each relationship that you have, you know, I, I think that that generally is bad advice. I think it it often steers you into making bad long-term business decisions, and you know, you end up not having as much flexibility, uh, you know, in your business to to ultimately to grow it. That's that's one thing that I think kind of sticks out in my mind. You know, when 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 you're asking me about about bad advice. The best companies that we've seen in the last two decades have have grown their business by not thinking about monetizing, you know, each relationship, and they think about things from I think a bigger picture view. That that really sticks out to me. I think is is probably some some of the bad advice. Well, the world the world's changed. You know, I, I mean, to, to bring it back into, you know, the financial services or the investment industry, I mean, you know, we got, we got Warren Buffett out here telling all the Berkshire Hathaway investors that Berkshire has to change the way that they they find value in the market, right? And it's no longer about, you know, price to book value. It's about companies who are spending money in R&D, Right to, to, to find the, the next value companies and you know and I and I think that that is is true to you know how you need to grow your business and, and you know how you need to you know spend money to you know create a good uh, culture and work environment and spend money in, in ways that I think uh, many businesses you know haven't uh, in the past
0: what would your close friends say that you are exceptionally good at? I would, I would say,
1: uh, if I had to put words in their mouth, I would say that they would say that I'm good at connecting the dots, you know, looking at, at what's going on over to the right, what's going on over to the left and, and finding a way to make everybody meet in the middle you know my, my my friends view me i think as as a connector and a solver of problems so i think that they would say that i'm good at good at connecting the dots i guess
0: that seems quite valuable especially in this day and age where networking is so important
1: absolutely absolutely it, it's all about the it's all about relationships right and mm-hmm. you know i think that that's really an underpinning of of what we're doing at orange not to bring this back to orange but you know there there's nothing there's no algorithm in the world that can replace the relationship between two people. And exactly. that's, 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 that's why we're building technology to, to really just to help connect two mm-hmm. people, you know, to, to help solve
0: problems. Sure. That's, that, that's, that's a continuation of what you've been doing in your career. You're solving a lot of problems just different way, in different ways. So in your career with all the different careers you've had, Couple different ones. Well, we they say that we learn more from our failures than from our successes. So, do you have a favorite failure that you learn the most from?
1: There's so many of them, I couldn't even count. Okay,
0: so failures, okay. Well, that's that's
1: there's, a lot. So way more, way more failures than successes. And I think anyone that tells you otherwise is just not being honest with you. Yeah. <laughs> but. So you have a lot, I I have a lot to choose from. I, you know, I think back to, to growing up, my passion for the bulls didn't start when I was working there. I, you know, I was uh, a 12 year old who thought he was going to be the next Michael Jordan. I was just a terrible basketball player. There, there wasn't a sport that I didn't want to play. You know, I remember having a conversation uh, with my father and he told me, he's like, just pick one. He's like, don't don't play four sports. He's like, pick one thing and be really good at it.
0: Parents should do and, that today. I'm sure you see parents who think five sports is good for their kids.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the kids are way overprogrammed today, and it's a challenge. It's a, it's a challenge to not overprogram them. But, um, you know, I think that that, you know, I had I had failed miserably playing basketball, and I, I even remember one day uh, driving home from one of the games, I think I was about 14 and my dad said to me, uh, are you sure you really like basketball? And, and it was his kind of indirect way of saying, like, pick another sport, right? (laughs) He, he he was doing it in a very nice way, but you know, once, once I figured that out and it, and it took me a long time to figure it out. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, that that was that was a really valuable lesson. But I think, you know, all of your failures together, I think, you know, is is what would be my favorite failure, because yeah. you draw on those failures constantly. Um, and I think having the mindset that a failure isn't a failure, right? It's not leading you to the glasses half full. It's leading you to the glasses half or excuse me not half empty half full right with each failure you're that much closer to achieving the goal that you want to achieve sure. i think that, that that's i think that's the most valuable thing that i learned from all of my failures is the way to think about it to internalize it and to not let it slow you down and to not let it deter you or get you down in any way
0: good advice Got to to stay focused on on where you're going. Do you give out books as gifts? And if you do, what's the book or books that you have gifted most often?
1: Wow. I I love to read. And I think it's it's an invaluable part of just continuing to learn and to grow and to adapt and apply other people's thoughts and and knowledge. You know, I, I think... The book that I've gifted the most is The Intelligent Investor. Why that one? By Ben. Because I think I think most people believe that investing is some, you know, unknown science, right? That that you have to have, you know, some advanced degree to 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 know how to invest. And, you know, and I think that there's some general, you know, guiding principles for that. But I also think that you know whether you do it yourself or you work with an advisor, you know I always believe that you're far better off working with a personal trainer than you're at doing it yourself, mm-hmm. sure. right? But you still need to be educated about the, the the general principles and the building blocks of investing, and you know I think everybody, um, you know, should should read that book, and that, that's probably the book that I've mm-hmm. I've gifted the. The, the most.
0: And I cut you off when you were saying the author, who's the author of the intelligent investor?
1: Uh, the Godfather himself, Benjamin Graham,
0: <laughs> the Godfather. <laughs> that's a good one. The um. Uh, any, any other books or is, is, is that the, the main one?
1: I think that's the main one. You know, I mean, I, I, I love to also read, you know, biographies, you know, Walter Isaacson has, has mm-hmm. a great, uh, biography he wrote about Abraham Lincoln. I also like to read other people's stories. Andre, the, there was a biography on Andre. I'm a a, a tennis player. Uh, Andre course. Agassi has has a great biography. You know, his life was a, a real struggle um, from when he was a little kid. And, um, you know, I think there's, there's a lot of really good life lessons uh, to be learned in that book as well.
0: Hmm. Those are all good. Is there a favorite app, that you have found recently to be really helpful or make you more efficient?
1: Um, I, slack. I, I think, uh, you know, I mean, it, uh, it, it, hasn't been super recent, but, uh, you know, I, I, think without slack, um, I'm not connected to what's going on in our business. I'm sure. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's a huge efficiency tool um, within, within our business. It connects sales to marketing, to product and development, to, you know, our business operations. And everybody can really have a pulse on what's going on in the business on a daily basis just by using Slack. And they've really changed what used to be, you know, pretty static, rigid processes, within a business and they've made it more dynamic and agile to where you can just, you can react to things as they're happening in real time. And, you know, it's, it's a, it's an invaluable tool. I think it's probably the most valuable tool that we have uh, at our company.
0: Yeah. We use Slack at my company as well. I know when I first started using it, I felt that I traded my one email inbox for 95 smaller inboxes. <laughs>
1: there, there is a little bit of channel management that, that, that has to go on. Mm -hmm. Uh, it it can, it can definitely get out of control, but, um, you know, it's, and, and it's also not just great for business, but it's also great culturally, you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, um, you know, something that we really try to promote, you know, uh, within our company is, you know, having people being able to share, um, You know their interests, and you know funny little things that they see going on in the news, or you know whatever it might be. And you know every interaction, you know internally within our company, doesn't just have to be, you know about, uh, you know bringing a new client on board or a new feature release. You 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 want you know your your team members to to interact with each other, you know on a personal level uh, as well. So. It's it's also good for that as well.
0: It's hard to to find the balance I find between technology interaction and, and physical interaction or face to face interaction. People in the same room will be texting each other or Slack sending Slack messages to each other, at all, rather than just picking their head up and, and talking. So it's, you have to find that good balance.
1: Absolutely, absolutely, and that's why we don't have any walls in our office. (laughs) There's, there's, there's really no place, you know, to, to hide, Mm -hmm. but, uh, you know, you do that through other things too. You know, you, you, you want to make sure that you're, you know, getting the team together for kind of social, you know, opportunities as well, Mm -hmm. you know, whether that's a, a, a lunch or, you know, a happy hour or whatever it may be. Yeah, it is okay. definitely um, a
0: balance. What's what's the most recent social event that you've had your staff? Uh, the the orange team has has been at.
1: So two people in our office are expecting babies, and this was maybe two, Yeah, it's super. These are the first orange babies, and oh, that's funny. So we had we had a big event. We had a, a dual baby shower, and. um we surprised uh, them with their spouses coming in and you know we uh, we we got them uh, a whole kind of diaper cake with their own orange pairs of sneakers and was it, was it uh,
0: cake of diapers or was it a cake in the shape of a diaper
1: it was it was a cake of actual diapers <laughs> I don't know if you've I mean so much has happened since since I had children <laughs> right no one was. Yes. Having gender reveal parties, or you know, uh, you know, giving diaper cakes, but that's that's the thing now. And uh, so we gave them diaper cakes, actual diapers, um, you know, with with some onesies, and um, you know, we gave them their their first pair of orange sneakers and the orange uh, sneakers. Yes, yes. That's become a
0: symbol of your company.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, everybody uh, at our company gets a pair of orange sneakers. Mm -hmm. You know, our motto is, is run orange, right? Uh, Stay calm and run orange and website. Yep. Yeah. Shameless, shameless plug there. Um, But, uh, that's
0: only because you couldn't get orange.com.
1: We couldn't, they wanted too much money for it. You know, we, we, we built the brand around run orange and you know, that's, that's, parlayed into sneakers and and all kinds of other fun stuff that that we make a part of our culture but um you know that was a really fun event it was uh, a great time to take time out of our business and, mm-hmm. and celebrate family you know um you know everybody here uh is is in the office more than they're at home with their family you right. know and, and so we we like to kind of take time out for that but you know, aside from that, we do lots of other, you know, kind of fun events together, you know, through, throughout the year. Uh, every summer, uh, Lollapalooza, the the three-day music festival, takes over Chicago. Oh, yeah. Um, and uh, we take off the the Friday of Lollapalooza, and we all go to hmm. Lollapalooza as a company. So is that we have because, a lot of fun together.
0: Is that because of your Live Nation days, Is that that that? As you institute that uh, uh, are any, any other companies doing that that you know of
1: um, I'm sure there are some other companies that that, that are doing that I, I hope it's a great opportunity to get out of the office and and you know I I believe that music is is the great connector um, and you know it's something that we do in the office as well it is a little bit about you know my background in the music industry but it, it's really more about you know you all of our team members like like being able to uh kind of share uh you know what they're interested in and so you know uh like three days a week we have a record player we have a huge record collection in our office and you know employees get to go you got to go vinyl vinyl is definitely back
0: yeah you're true and aficionado you go
1: vinyl yes there's no pure sound in the world. Exactly. But but, yeah, but people get to play records in the in the office. So it's also about, you know, we we do actually tie it back to our business because, you know, the music industry has gone through tremendous transformation, right um, over the last 20 years.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And our industry, financial services industry is is really in the early innings of that transformation. And so we we really use music as, a way to help everybody here understand, you know, what it is that we're doing and, and, you know, what our, what our mission is, right. Which is, you know, to, to continue to, to help people um, make better financial decisions in their life. They're just going about it differently and working with an advisor is better than not. Um, You know, and and we want to use technology to help bridge that gap in the same way that the music industry really use technology you know to 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 further their mission right and, and provide artists platforms that they wouldn't have had otherwise
0: yeah and and david I, i've only got two questions left and uh, i just want to really thank you for 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 being so patient with me and answering all of my questions and being on the show and i know i want to wrap up because uh is enough time here but so the, the last two questions i have for you one is, is there a quote that you live your life by?
1: A quote by the infamous Mick Jagger.
0: <laughs> um, why did I?
1: From the, ro- I the Rolling the Stones.
0: <laughs> that you have a quote from uh, uh, someone in rock and roll.
1: <laughs> That's right. Mick Jagger in the song Ruby Tuesday said, uh, Lose your dreams and you might lose your mind. You know, and, and, You know, I, I, I think back to, you know, when I, you know, decided to go and and start my own business and, and that was a dream that I had and it was very, very difficult and it's still very difficult, you know, no matter how much, you know, how many milestones that you hit, but, um, don't ever lose sight of what your dreams are.
0: Hmm. That's, that's, uh, that's a great quote. Uh, I'm, I'm, now I'm, I'm drawing a blank. I was, I was trying to come up with my quote. Now the, the, my, my favorite Rolling Stones song is "Give Me Shelter," but there's no. I Rolling love Stones. that song. I love that song. Yeah, uh, I, I, I'm into the history. i uh, not the history. Uh, yeah, the, uh, the, the, in, the in-depth like background to music and how things were created. So I'm always reading up on how the artists created the song and how they. They 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 built it or crafted it or the people the, the musicians who helped them who were on that and that's just a, an awesome an awesome song, but no no good quotes from that uh, unless uh, you know, war is just a shot away that's not a great quote for living your life by
1: <laughs> <laughs> might might apply to other things that, that but yeah not not yeah. to live your life by
0: <laughs> yeah, still great still great tune um, and looking back uh, is there a message if you could. Send a message in back in time to your 25 year old self. What would that message be?
1: I would say to take more chances. You know, I, I think I always had the 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 bug to be entrepreneurial and start and start a business. You know, I, I think I wish I just would have done that earlier. You know, I I, I remember back to. When I was uh, putting in my notice to to leave Live Nation, mm-hmm. and I was terrified. Huh. I, I I you know I, I couldn't sleep, mm-hmm. um, and I had a mentor who's who's still a great friend and mentor of mine, and she told me she's like, "What do you you know What's the worst thing that could happen?"
0: Oh yeah, right. Sure.
1: You don't six You don't succeed, and you either decide to start another business or you go back and to work for, you know, some other big company. Right? And you know, I think I I think I wish that, you know, I I would have taken a chance a little bit earlier. I don't I don't regret the path that that
0: that brought me here. Sure. Yeah, that's great advice for your 25-year-old self. And I've I've heard that before that think about the worst-case scenario and then you can deal with it. Like I said, yeah. if you, if the worst case scenario is it, it fails and you go back to working in a big company, uh, and that, that oftentimes thinking through your fears helps you realize that they're they're not so bad, and you should go ahead and, and do that. Take that. Take that chance.
1: Well, uh, absolutely. And I think at least now today, at least the younger generation has a lot of examples of that. When I was twenty five, there there weren't too many examples of, you know, younger professionals. Uh, out there blazing a trail sure you know the, the way that they are today
0: it's a whole it's a brave new world Dave
1: absolutely only if we had a time machine right we've I'll tell you.
0: <laughs> that's that's the truth but uh, speaking of time our, our time is just about up and, and this has been a, a wonderful conversation I'm so happy you were able to make it and you know that we could coordinate this and and, and get this on the podcast so, so thank you very much for for being here with me
1: no, my pleasure. I enjoyed it, and you know, the next time that we're in the same city, we should we should talk more about our favorite songs and yeah. the origins of them, and you know, would we'll, yeah. would we'll love that. A long
0: time on that on uh, on, on, uh, on how the the Rolling Stones put their songs together, and uh, and and, and, uh, and how that all works. That'd be great. We'll put that on the calendar, Dave. Let's do it. Cool. All right. Thanks so much.
1: Thank you. Yeah.
0: Hey, everyone. It's Craig again. Just a few quick items before we go. If you like this episode, please give it a five-star review on iTunes. I would very much appreciate it. And remember to check out the show notes for links to everything we talked about on this episode. For more information on wealth management technology, you can read my Wealth Management Today blog at wmtoday.com. Thanks for tuning in, and I'm looking forward to talking to you all again next week.